Well, we talked about family. We talked about divorce. That's what Jesus talked about. We talked about children coming to him. We talked about the rich young ruler. We talked about um, Jesus talking about servanthood and why that's important and, and service in the kingdom and being great in the kingdom of God. We, we covered the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We talked about the things that Jesus was teaching and the, the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trap him in his words. These were some of the things that we talked about this week as we went through Mark chapter 10 and 11. And if you go through the videos, oftentimes we try to pull out one thing from those videos to, to focus on. So it's not always the entirety of the text that we read that we focus on. We just focus on one portion of the text. The interesting thing about what we're going to do today is all the portions of the text that I did not focus on during the week is actually what's going to be in the sermon. So if you've done your reading this week, then that's awesome because we're going to be focusing on those portions. And if you watch these videos this week and you're like, I'm going to hear what we, what we studied all week. No, you're not. You're not going to hear a thing about what we studied all week. That was it, the recap. Okay? So today we're going to talk about something that I think that is something that can be on all of our minds at one time or another. Is faith healing real? That's what we're going to talk about. But I want to introduce by showing a quick video clip. It automatically re-loops, so if it starts playing again, that's just the nature of this video. It's not the people in the back or anything like that. So go ahead and show this clip. These four fake miracles point people away from the true saving gospel message people need to hear. Number four fake tongues. Number three, fake prophecies. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to me. So I, I jumped up, ran, got my notepad, and wrote it down. 924. This disease called CODV-19 will be over much sooner than you think. Number two, fake healings. Dear Jesus, the Lord's going to touch you, young boy. Days after the event, and Ashneel still wasn't healed. Number one, absolute chaos. It is a story of the love of God and... <laughs> If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Genesis. I love you, Vody. This is my time, not yours. So, all right. So, when we think of faith healing, isn't that kind of the popularized version that pops into our heads, right? We think of all the charlatans that are out there, the people who are get on TV and have a great number of followers, and, and this type of insane stuff that you see happens is what ends up defining the idea of faith healing, right? The multi-million dollar jets, and they live in their multi-million dollar homes, and they give true men of God a bad name because their ministries are predicated only on deceiving people out of their hard-earned money and half-truths. Their ministries do as much harm to those devoted to following them as it does to those who judge the Christian message by only those examples. 
And the side worth noting, you know what? It's people like that where you hear people say, well, you know what? They're only in it for the money. All those pastors, they're driving their Corvettes and they're driving their cars. You know where they get that image from? It's from those people that they see online, that they talk about the health and wealth gospel and the blessing that's going to happen. I want to bring this back down to earth for just a moment for all of you who may even have bought into something like that. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, well, this is what the pastors are like no matter what church I go to. Georgetown University, so this is a little aside here, compiled a list called What's It Worth? The Economic Value of College Majors. Interesting. We should look at it sometime which showed that theology and religious vocations represent the third lowest paying major. So in general, the successful pastor who is faithful is definitely not in it for the money. There are only two vocations that were lower than that. One was, I believe, early childhood education, and the other one was uh, psychological counseling. So, we're not in it to get rich, those of us who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not my study. That's a study from a university who went through every category that's out there. And here we are down on the bottom. Kind of destroys the idea that we're only in it for the money. So, if you get a good church, get a good pastor, be thankful. Be very thankful. However, this week in our study, we were confronted with two passages of Scripture that challenge our sensibilities in the modern culture, weren't we? This idea of this idea of faith healing and miracles. So let's look at them together. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46. It says, as they're on their way to Jerusalem, right before the triumphal entry of Jesus. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. As a matter of fact, if you go to the other accounts in Matthew and in Luke, Matthew actually records that there were two blind men. Bartimaeus is one of those two. We get a more detailed account here of that interaction that happens. But that phrase, your faith has healed you, vexes us, doesn't it? What do you say, my faith has healed me? That's what Jesus said. How do we reconcile that? Mark chapter 11, in this other account, verses 12 through 14, it says this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany and they were heading for the temple, Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves 
but it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Skipping down to verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What do you do when you read passages like these? We just skip over them in our modern day sensibilities? Do we pretend that Jesus didn't really say those words? Because he did. It's not just found in Mark's gospel either. And when you and I are confronted with something like that, oh, it sounds almost as sensational as those pastors and preachers we just looked at on that short little clip. I think the tendency of our minds and hearts is to kind of hide it away. Pretend that it's not there. Look at it out of context because that's all that anybody else has seen it. How much does our faith matter in the area of miracles? I mean, in Mark chapter 9, if we just go back to last week's reading, we have a man who's begging the disciples to heal his son who has this evil spirit about him, that it casts him on the ground. He's been doing this since childhood. He's come and asked the disciples to cast out this demon, and they could not do it. So he comes to Jesus in desperation. And as he's talking about it, verse 22 says, It has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals this boy. The disciples would come and ask him, why were we not able to cast out this demon? He said, the only way this can be done is through prayer, or in some manuscripts, prayer and fasting. How much does our faith count toward the healings that we're wanting to see happen, that we pray for? According to the Scripture, there's definitely a modicum of faith that's needed. According to what Jesus said, because we see it throughout the Gospel of Mark. If you guys have been reading, you've heard that phrase, your faith has healed you. The four men who put down the other man who was a paralytic in front of Jesus, and when he saw their faith, he said to the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. As a matter of fact, we're going to read 
other things concerning faith. But I want to give us three principles today as it pertains to faith healing according to the Scriptures. And two warnings. Because we have to have a right theology of healing. I don't really care what the world thinks. I really don't. I care about what God says about himself concerning these things. And if it comes in conflict with the sensibilities of this world, I don't care. I'm not following the world. And you're not supposed to be either. But these thoughts have come into our head that have diminished the word of God in our lives and the things that Jesus would want for us in an area of healing in many other areas. It's just one. We're tackling this one today. So principle number one is this. Unless one has faith in Jesus, no miracle through Jesus is possible. Now the wording of this principle is important, and you'll find out later why. Unless one has faith in Jesus, no miracle through Jesus is possible. As a matter of fact, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, Matthew 13 Verse 58, Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, says he was not able to do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. That the idea that Jesus was hindered from doing miracles, not because he can't do whatever he wants, he's God in the flesh. But that healing would happen Deliverance would happen because of their faith is a principle that Jesus affirms in Scripture, both in the positive as he does heal people and in the negative on what prevents him from healing people. Therefore, principle number one, unless one has faith in Jesus, no miracle through Jesus is possible. If you don't believe in Jesus, guess what? You're not going to be asking him for help, right? If you think everything's just a charlatan, like you see on the TVs right there, why would you pray? Why would you spend any time at all thinking that Jesus has any power over sickness or death or anything? Principle number two. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who heals and gives the gift of healing and miracles. If you'll turn with me in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about the spiritual gifts, and as we will study later on as we're going through the epistles, we'll dive into this a lot deeper. But in this area, the first 12 verses, he begins to define why these gifts and how these gifts are given. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. 
To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different types of tongues. And still to another, an interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, and though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Did you notice all of those gifts? They weren't by you. They were given by God through the Holy Spirit to you for the edification of the body of believers. According to the word of God. Not my word. That's his. And so when we looked at gifts of healing, are there gifts of healing? Yes. Who gives it? God does. Through the Spirit. As a matter of fact, when Jesus worked miracles here on this earth, he did it according to the Spirit of God. As evidenced by the fact that when they were saying, hey, it's by the prince of demons that he does this. And guess what Jesus said? You know what? Every blasphemy that is spoken against the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, will be forgiven him. But no one will be forgiven if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they were saying that what he was doing was being done by demons and it was being done by the Spirit of God. Jesus was choosing to operate in his humanity here on earth to allow the Spirit of God to work through him to do these miracles. Again, not my word. This is what we've read as we've continued through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit who is God, apportions these gifts among the people as he sees fit. So are there gifts of healing? Yes. Are there miracle, gifts of miracles that some people have? Yes. Because that's what the scripture says. That's what God has testified about himself. Now, I do want to cover real quickly this, this whole talk because there are some who would believe that the gifts of the Spirit were only manifested for the time of Jesus and for the time of the apostles. And that after the early church was done and there are no more quote-unquote apostles that are now living, well now there's no more need of miracles anymore. Because the miracles were supposed to testify about who Jesus is. And we'll talk about that in a moment. However, this, this idea of cessationism, I don't find anywhere in the Scripture because I look every place in the Scripture and I see affirmation of miracles, but I don't see that, hey, after this age is over, guess what? It's over. After, after the last apostle dies, no more miracles for you. Just know that Jesus is Lord. Don't see that at all anywhere in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, I really believe that part of the reason that cessationism comes up is because of the abuses that you see through the video above that we all have seen, that we're all leery of. We don't want to be lumped in with something like that. Do you believe in faith healing? Well, if you're talking about Benny Hinn, then no. Because what he's doing is not faith healing. What he's doing is charlatanism. What he does, he does at the at at. The, at, at the expense of the reputation of Christ, and someday if he does not repent, he will be judged for it. 
wholeheartedly believe that. So if you say that, that's what everybody thinks. You believe in faith healing? I mean, (laughs) define your terms. And that's what we're attempting to do today. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the same section of Scripture that uh, Paul is addressing the abuse of the gifts among the people of the uh, the, among the people of the Corinthians. I cannot talk today. That would be helpful. This isn't speaking in tongues, guys. This is the exact opposite. This is not speaking in tongues. All right. But it's interesting that that Sean comes up here and he's talking about correction on the Lord's Supper. And here, this whole passage of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is about the correction on the speaking in tongues because they were all acting like madmen. And Paul calls them out on it through the Holy Spirit. Verses 23 through 25 in chapter 14. So if the whole church comes together and everybody speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some who are unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he'll be convicted by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all and the secret of his hearts will be laid bare and he will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. When you looked at that last thing, when you saw the absolute chaos, you see people crawling around on the floor and they're barking like dogs and stuff like that, won't the outside world think that you're mad? Just as true today as it was then. Because the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit occurred then just as it does now. There's nothing new under the sun. We were studying that in our youth group, Ecclesiastes. 2,000 years ago, they were abusing the the spiritual gifts. Guess what they still do today? They abuse the spiritual gifts. However, as I said before, there's nothing in the Scriptures to suggest that miracles ended with the ascension of Jesus or the closing of the era of the early church, only through the apostles. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul, not being there at that time, he asked this question. So again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? He's not appealing to himself as an apostle. As a matter of fact, he has pulled himself away from these people and he says, does God do miracles among you when I'm not there? Well, if the spirit and the gifts of healing were only for the apostles, that situation could never find itself there. I believe some cessationists believe that way just so that they don't have to take flack for people like Benny Hinn. But the Bible's pretty clear concerning. Everything that I'm looking at in the Word of God talks about There's healing by faith. There are miracles that still happen even to this day because the Spirit of God moves. That's why we have our testimony time. Talk about the goodness of God. But it leads us to principle number three. Miracles are done to reveal and exalt Jesus. Miracles are done to reveal and exalt Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, 
verses 20 through 24, Jesus gives a very stern rebuke and woe. That Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will be down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. See, the miracles that Jesus did were a testimony of who he was. And so when these woes are pronounced upon these cities, they're pronounced upon the cities where he did all of these miracles for everybody to see. And they still didn't believe. Despite the healings that took place, that gave testimony to who Jesus truly was. I am your Messiah. I am the one that is promised. And guess what? You just kind of like, eh. We see a different side of Jesus as he pleads for people to believe him because of the miracles. Twice in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. Verses 34 through 38 says this. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one to whom the Father set apart at his very, as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. You see this pleading, even if you don't believe me, even if I'm not convincing to you, at least believe the miracles. Believe what your eyes and ears are seeing and hearing that testify to who I am. He says it again in John chapter 14. Just a few chapters later from where you're at. So if you move forward, John chapter 14, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip has just asked, show us the Father, that'll be enough. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for me anything in my name and I will do it. The miracles are supposed to exalt the name of Jesus. And he turns around and says, you're going to do greater things than me. Because I'm going to the Father and I want to exalt the Father. So if you ask in my name, 
It's going to be done. You know why? Because I want to give glory to the Father. See, miracles and healings and the like are done to reveal and exalt the name of Jesus. It's a testimony that continued on after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit's come down. And as the explanation comes forth and they're trying to figure out what's happening with these disciples who are speaking all different languages and they're hearing them in their common tongue. I mean, Google Translate has nothing on God on on translation. Let me just tell you that right now. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, Peter starts this way. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. What does he go to to bring this idea of what's happening to them now and how they receive salvation? He points back to Jesus and he says, he was attested to you by miracles, signs, and wonders. You know why? Because, Because miracles are done to reveal and exalt Jesus. Do we believe... That faith healing, do we believe in miracles today? To only give you one side of the story is to give you an incomplete theology. So you can hear all of that and end up like Kenneth Copeland, right? Or Benny Hinn. And we can just start saying the craziest things video right now online where you see Kenneth Copeland having everybody put their hands on their head and proclaim, hair grow! I have no idea why. Is that going to exalt the name of Jesus? I don't think so. It's a self-serving prophecy or a self-serving miracle. For what? I got more hair? I could get that with Rogaine. Right? Or hair replacement technology. Warning number one. As there are principles, there are warnings. There will be miracles, both seemingly real and fake, that will happen by those who do not believe in Jesus and wish to lead others astray. I'll say it one more time. There will be miracles both seemingly real and fake that will happen by those who do not believe in Jesus and wish to lead others astray. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about tree and his fruit. Verse 21, as he's coming to the end of the section, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. These are people who thought they were believers. 
These are people that, that thought they were doing what God wanted to do, but they, they weren't doing the will of God. They were doing sensational stuff and giving lip service to God. Sounds a whole lot like Benny Hinn, doesn't it? Those are the words he should fear that he might hear from his Lord, the one that he, he proclaims to be Lord. And it should check ourselves, right? Because not everything that is done in the name of the Lord is necessarily of God. Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about the signs at the end of the age. Verse 23 through 25 says this, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, talking about that Jesus is coming back, right? Or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. Now, one of the things I want to share with you concerning this passage of Scripture is these are being done in the name of Jesus. And Jesus does not necessarily call them false miracles. These are miracles that are going to be done. People are deceived that these miracles are happening. Using the name of Jesus. I think it's very important to know what the scripture says in context there. And at the same time, we're also told, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in the coming of the Antichrist and the man of lawlessness, verse 9, it says this, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. I think it's very important that we understand that these miracles, whether false and counterfeit or real, that happen in the economy of God, according to his word, in the context of these passages that we look at, obedience to Christ is more important than signs and wonders. Not my word, that's his. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will make their way into heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. And they go, but we did all these miracles in your name. I don't care. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. See, miracles have their right place, subservient to our obedience to Jesus. You want miracles in your life? Obedience comes first. Proclamation of Christ comes first. And that doesn't even mean that it's guaranteed. Which leads me to warning number two. Temporary healing on earth will not result in eternal life on earth. But only point to Jesus. God does heal you. And I believe that he does. I believe that he moves even this day to heal people. 
I know people who have said that they have been healed of sicknesses and diseases and cancers and other things, and they will give testimony that it was God who did it, so Jesus is exalted. Guess what happened to those people? They probably got sick again at some point. And eventually they're going to die. As a matter of fact, every single person that is raised from the dead by Jesus in his earthly ministry would have to die again. You guys realize that? This is why Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Because he rose never to die again. Lazarus rose, but guess what? They plotted to kill him because a lot of people were coming to Jesus because he was raised from the dead. So they're like, oh, dead man can't talk, so let's just kill him again. Let's have him experience that death again, and then he'll stop being a thorn in our side. If you think that we are left without the effects of sin and the fall while living on this earth, even if God, through his grace and mercy, grants us a temporary reprieve from those symptoms of sickness, sin, and death, we do not get a permanent reprieve until Jesus comes back or we go to him. So the faith healers who come out and say, if you've gotten sick, that's a lack of faith. That is a denial of everything in the Scripture. Everything in the Scripture says this world and everything in it is passing away. That's you, that's me. No matter how godly a life that we may live here on this earth, guess what? Eventually, we were going to succumb to sin sickness, deterioration, and death unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. Why am I sick? Why is this happening to me? Is this a punishment from God? No, it's a symptom of this world. It points to why we need a Savior. And any healing we get by God, by His grace, by His mercy, by nature, because we're in a world that is passing away, is not going to nullify the effects of sin in this earthly body. We are sown corruptible, as 1 Corinthians 15. We will be raised incorruptible. Until then, every single one of us, all the things we're not looking forward to growing older, you're going to have to deal with it. So am I. Is it because God hasn't overcome these things? He has, but he hasn't promised it here on this earth. And those of us who are trying to have heaven here are not looking in the right place. Revelation 21.4 says this. It's after Jesus has risen, after the thousand-year reign, after the judgment seat of Christ. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You guys have to recognize we're in the old order of things right now. We're living in the old order of things right now. what makes it hard to see sickness and suffering 
But our sickness and our suffering remind us this is not our home. It reminds us of where ultimate healing is found. Someday he's coming back. Do you believe that? I really hope you do. I really hope you understand the right place. My God works in this world. My God heals in this world now. My God uses our faith according to the scriptures for healing and miracles to exalt the name of Jesus. Make no mistake. God is not some one-trick pony that we can command him at our behest and request so that he may do wonderful things for us. He does it for the exaltation of Jesus and the name of Christ that's the name above every name. So guess what? He chooses when he heals. And he chooses when he doesn't. Because ultimate healing isn't found any place in this world. It's found only in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and me who stamped out the suffering of this world at its source by dying for our sins and showing that he had the power over sin and death and everything that would exalt itself above God by raising from the dead so that our faith and our hope are in him. That's why we're told to keep our eyes focused on things above, not here on earthly things. We shouldn't be ashamed of faith healing. We actually shouldn't be. We should be seeking it. We should be doing what the word of God says concerning it. We should be anointing the head of oil from those people who are sick by the elders so that the person who, can, who has sinned can be raised up and forgiven because God still answers prayer, amen? God still heals according to the power of Jesus Christ and the faith that we have that he does that but he doesn't always heal. It's his to determine, not ours. It's not some lack of faith if he doesn't. You and I have to have the right theology about healing or we go too far to the one side that says healing never happens or too far on the other side that healing happens at my request. Neither of those things are biblical. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness, to be raised incorruptible. And healings that happen now are a foretaste of that which is going to be for eternity. But will never be fully actualized here. Not until Jesus comes back. So pray for healing. Pray for the exaltation of Jesus. You know somebody who's sick? Pray for them. That God may raise them up. You want to see a miracle happen in your life or somebody else's life? You pray for them. And with the faith in which you pray, God can work and move according to that, according to the scriptures. But Jesus is the one who will get the glory. He has to. Because once it becomes you and me, we're just deceiving ourselves. We just become just like the people up there that we make fun of, that the world makes fun of. And Christ is not glorified through that. This is why I believe in faith healing. 
not because of some televangelist preacher who's out there doing stupid stuff. Because this is what the Word of God says. This is the Jesus whom we serve. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. I want to end with these words from John chapter 16 and verse 33 to remind you and I where the focus of our faith ought to be when we're praying for these things. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's where our peace resides, is in Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you that you are on the throne, that Jesus is seated at your right hand, that he has said that if we ask anything in his name, that will glorify him with the measure of faith that we have according to your will, not ours, O oh Lord, that you can reach down and you can heal, you can still perform miracles to this day. We want to see that so that the name of Jesus will be exalted and lifted up. So let us ask boldly, O oh God, And God, help us to remember and to recognize this tent of the body that we're in is destined for doom and destruction. It is part of the sinful world, part of the old order of things that is part of the corruption that is to be taken away. We are going to be raised with Christ once and for all, incorruptibly. Every single one of us should look forward to that day. And Lord, help us not when we run into the troubles of this world, whether it be persecution or sickness or disease, dear Heavenly Father, or death, shake our faith that you still hold the keys of death and Hades, that you have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and that Jesus one day, someday, will raise our corruptible bodies to be incorruptible in his presence forever. And that is the true healing we look forward to. Help us keep our eyes on Jesus and exalt his name through miracles and signs and wonders through your people, Lord, who are unashamed to believe that you still do these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's the deal. Do we need to pray maybe a little bit more boldly than we do? Do we need to start believing that Jesus is the one who truly heals and that he can still do that today? Are we going to start putting action to this? Are we going to start being a little bit more trusting that Jesus can do those things? Go out and live that way this week. We're going to have elders up front if you need prayer. Man, can't get much more of a calling than this today, can you? Come up. Let's pray. Pray boldly. Let's see what God does. Let's come up here and testify for the glory of Jesus Christ so that it's exalt the name of Jesus in every way, shape, and form so that people see him and only him as the hope that we're living for. God bless you guys. Have a great week.